This is Life Made Better, a podcast from two coaches with a zest for not only their lives, but yours. In this series, Fleur and Lucia seek out tips, tools, and exercises to inspire you to achieve your dreams and goals. Join us and let's make life better. Welcome back to Life Made Better, the podcast where we interview interesting people that not only inspire us, but so that we can learn from their story and their challenges. Today's guest, Hope Virgo, is a mental health campaigner and author and an ambassador for the Shore Mind Foundation. Hope suffered with anorexia for over four years before being admitted to a mental health hospital in 2007. She lived in the hospital for a year, fighting one of the hardest battles of her life. Since being discharged, she has fought to stay well. Recently, I was given Hope's book by a friend as she knew I was struggling to help a loved one who was suffering from anorexia. Then coincidentally, I found out she lived around the corner from me (laughs) and she kindly gave me some advice and insight into the disorder. So Hope, thank you so much for coming here today. Thanks so much for having me. It's so lovely to be here. And I'm sure our audience would love to hear a bit more about you and what you're currently doing. Yeah, so... I'm just trying to work out where to really start. So currently, um, I work full-time doing mental health speaking in schools and with corporates, do a lot of work with the government, looking at policy change and trying to make sure that every single person understands what an eating disorder is, how to support people with eating disorders, but also to try and dispel a lot of those myths and misunderstandings around eating disorders as well. And I kind of been doing it now for probably about four or five years. And the reason I got into all of this was I lived with anorexia from the age of 12, 13, right up until I was 17 when I was admitted into treatment and have kind of been in an ongoing state of recovery ever since I was discharged. But over the last kind of 12, 13 years, I was becoming more and more aware of the like lack of understanding around eating disorders. And again, all of those kind of ideas in our head that we all have, that you have to look a certain size, act a certain way, be a certain person to have an eating disorder. And I was getting slightly frustrated by the whole thing. So decided to kind of use my own experience and my own recovery as a way to kind of change the face of eating disorders moving forward. Mm. I mean, I even studied eating disorders at university and now supporting a loved one with anorexia, you cannot believe how difficult it is for the person to logically eat. It's not like you can just go, well, just eat it. Don't be so vain. It's nothing for me, for what I'm experiencing, it's nothing to do with this image that everybody thinks about. It is really, I I think it is biological and psychological and social it is all those three things together and you being in recovery because I think is that true to say most people are always in recovery once they've had it or some people do is that right statistically so statistically 50% of people make a full recovery 30% of people kind of settle and remain in a state of ongoing recovery and then 20% of people remain chronically unwell 
I personally do believe that everyone can make a full recovery. I think society... So good to hear. (laughs) Society makes it so unbelievably difficult because we normalise a lot of disordered eating. And I also don't think that services are currently set up in the right way to treat people with eating disorders, which is why statistically the kind of recovery rates are so low. But I I do think that people can make that full recovery. That's amazing. So how are you finding this strength and inspiration to do all this great work? It's hard um, at points and sometimes I find it very difficult um, and quite hard going, particularly the government work when you get kind of constant pushbacks and they don't really understand it sometimes. But I think for me, it's I guess because it was born out of a passion that I'd been through something and I didn't want anyone else to have to go through what I went through. And I think having been through it, people are in such a great position to then actually make those policy changes and help to really explain what it's like to have an eating disorder, to be in recovery, to live with it. And I think for me, it is about kind of giving myself that space every day to kind of journal a lot, um, offload and vent onto other people. And then always reminding myself, like, why am I actually doing what I'm doing? I always said that I'd stop doing this as soon as I started to hate it. And at the moment, I kind of, I still love it, but I've kind of kept that at the back of my mind. So at any point I can walk away from it. And I think for me, that's always been a really important factor within it. Mm, That you're in control of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think like as well, like I, I hear stories all the time of people really struggling, people struggling to access services and treatment. And I think that is just wrong on so many levels that if you had a physical illness and you went to the doctor, the doctor would refer you to the right place, you'd get treated. But with eating disorders, you just don't get that sort of treatment. And that frustrates me beyond belief that it's still so behind other services and there's just no parity whatsoever, no equality. And I think that for me is the biggest driving force that actually I can't, I can't walk away from it just yet because that hasn't been changed. Mm. What I'm hearing, and I love hearing the introduction as well, as Flo painted out, that you are a campaigner for mental health, but what pains me is straight after hearing, like, you know, there's, there's reticence and there's so much more that people should know or be aware of and the government is just not prepared to listen in a way. So I'm curious to hear on the one hand, what are the things that we should become more aware of in order for us as a society, I guess, to become more supportive and be more helpful. And then I would like to think that at some point, somebody close to the government will be listening to this chat. What will be your message to them what what is if you could what is the one thing that you want to hone in and get them to listen to that eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes and they're not about being underweight they're not about food they're not about bodies they're not about weight they're not about image they're not a diet gone wrong they're not a phase that someone goes through but they're complicated brain-based illnesses and they need to have proper investment into services. I think so often when we think of an eating disorder, we think of that stereotypical kind of white teenage girl who's extremely emaciated. But statistically, we know that only 6% of people with an eating disorder will ever be underweight. So there's this like massive cohort of people who are never going to get access to treatment, who are never going to get support, who are going to kind of coast along for the rest of their lives, potentially, if it's not treated really, really struggling. And I think for me, it's about the government realising and others as well that 
the eating disorder is a coping mechanism to life. It's a coping mechanism to something that has gone wrong, something that they're struggling. It could be trauma-based, it could be pandemic-related, it could be anything. But it's about working with that individual to identify actually and get them to realize that that unhealthy coping mechanism, yes, it might feel like it's serving a purpose, but it's not serving a purpose in the long run. So trying to unpack that. And I think the more that the government and others are aware of that, and the more we kind of remove this focus on weight and food and bodies, the easier it will become for more people to step into that place of recovery. That's such a good point. And that really hit home when you said that, because I know the person I'm helping is really to do with fear. And it's really to do with a coping mechanism, because being so scared to live life in a society that is expecting so much and there is it does seem to be this more sensitive characters use extreme coping mechanisms and make themselves suffer so much when they have so much love and as you are testimonial too that have so much give to give to the world that I'm just hoping that this message does get across that we can't ignore people's feelings and feelings at school from a very young age need to be considered Mm. yeah I agree and I think like for me what I've always said is with my with my own experience of having anorexia it was like this best friend it gave me a purpose it gave me a value and it just helped to kind of give me that sense of control whilst at the same time switching off a lot of those emotions that I didn't want to feel and the more I listened to it the better I felt about life, the better I felt about my situation. And it helped me to just feel a little bit more good enough. And it's interesting because the more I move into that space in my recovery and the more I've learned about myself is I realized that quite often I project a lot of that fear onto myself, onto my body. So fears of rejection, abandonment, it could be any fears that you might have. And then that comes out on our bodies, which means we then want to feel good enough by controlling our food intake, by counting our calories, by exercising or doing whatever it might be. And I think it's about, like you said as well, like kind of getting to that space where we really understand that it's a mental illness, that if we're giving people that space to be really heard and understood, then they're more likely to potentially prevent developing an eating disorder. But also if they've got an eating disorder, kind of begin to unpack what that might mean and where else they can get that support. Mm. So what I'm hearing, and I think is is very important, on the one hand, as you rightly said, is never about the food, is all the things that go underneath it the feelings the emotions the the way your brain is is working so to me it feels that there definitely should be culturally addressed in the way that we particularly look at the feelings and how we suppress emotions and we sort of celebrate the so-called good ones but we never allow for all the again quote-unquote negative feelings to show up when the full range of emotions should be embraced to be honest but also on the other hand is this culturally whenever somebody sees somebody skinny or you lose weight then all of a sudden everybody is oh you look so great you look so fantastic without kind of really understanding why that weight loss might have happened or why that weight gain might have happened. So I think we're very quick to judge a person by the physical appearance, which doesn't benefit the purpose of the conversation that we're talking about today. 
Yeah, and I agree. I think, like, in my friendship group, we create, we often create rules around not talking about bodies and not talk, like, commenting on weights because it's quite boring conversation anyway if we're always talking about dieting, but it's also just not that helpful. And I think what it, what it's meant is that we have normalized disordered eating. We've normalized eating disorder culture. It's like, even in the last couple of months with COVID and with kind of stuff in the UK kind of easing up slightly and people starting to be able to go places. I remember like 24 hours into the roadmap being announced, there was like this fixation on social media where people were like, I'm going on this diet. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it's like, why do we live in a society where we feel like we have to lose weight in order to feel good enough and in order to start doing stuff. Like we should all be learning to just feel confident and embrace like our bodies and who we are. And I'm definitely not at that space yet, but it is, it's, it's hard work. And I think the more we try and push back on that and the more we don't talk about this stuff and avoid talking about it with regards to commenting on weight loss and things like that, actually the better it is. Mm -hmm. We've definitely become that society, haven't we? Where, because our basic needs are met we're now looking and comparing what we look like to other people instead of really honing in on the fact that there's more important things like our own happiness our own feelings our own validation for ourselves and then looking to always compare ourselves to others you mean that comparing part of our brain is there for a reason for logic it's not there to psycho analyze all the time whether we're good enough and I think that as part of a human race now that's what that part of the brain's become it's become this psychoanalytical part that all it does is compare whether we're good enough I think there needs to be in my opinion really young from the age you know when they first start being at school about not talking about body image and body shape and really honing in on what's really important about people you know are they you know a kind person are they hard working do they treat people well I think these things have to happen really young and it come from from re, from the primary schools up to change what's happening in society because kids are really strong and I think if they are taught that from a very young age it could help. But with social media at the moment, I think TikTok and Instagram, they are really affecting our teenagers' brains. I mean, do you know any of the figures about anorexia and how it's gone up since the introduction of social media? So it's definitely been on the rise. And over the last year, we have seen it skyrocket anorexia, particularly anorexia, but also other eating disorders. There's been a fourfold increase in hospital admissions. They're now saying that one in 16 people will get an eating disorder, which is just ridiculously high. And I don't know whether social media is completely to blame, but I think it definitely does have that role to play within that in creating a really dangerous narrative. And I'd say also on top of that, like, Within social media, we have that whole aspect around the body image. We have body filtering, everything like that. And just over the last couple of weeks, I've seen so many more of those um, like body filtering apps that are now doing it as a video. So you go out with your friends, you do a video, and then you can just edit it so much. And it's like, that's not right, because then young people are going to be drawing into these apps, thinking to themselves, oh, I look better like that. Well, they're just going to begin scrutinizing so much more. And I no longer think it's enough to just tell young people that what you see on social media isn't the reality. I think we need to have a much wider education around it and that actually people need to start being a little bit more responsible, probably about the things that they are and aren't sharing. And I think on top of that with social media, over the last year, 
we've seen like all of these kind of wellness influencers popping up and it's like they have millions of followers on Instagram and they tell us we should count our calories, cut out certain foods, do this much exercise. And because they look a certain way and because they have so many followers, it's like particularly young people, but also like vulnerable adults too, are just taking every single thing they're saying as gospel. And again, that's, that's not right. And I think in that sense, schools also have a role to play and actually educating young people on what a healthy lifestyle is. They need to educate young people on like the way the body works, the way that the body compensates, that calorie counting is not a way to live your life. And that I think is where schools potentially kind of fall down a little bit in that sense as well. Like not feeling able to talk about this stuff because they're too afraid of upsetting people or getting it wrong. Mm. I mean, this selfie thing, if we think about it from a personal development perspective, if you're in self all of the time, then you're in ego all of the time. And then you are just totally obsessed with yourself and you cannot see other people's perspectives. It's not about anybody else but yourself. So that in itself is so dangerous that they all they're thinking about is do I look good enough and they can see it instantly when they post a picture so I do think yes of course it's not the only reason but when we were growing up I'm a lot older than you (laughs) (laughs) when we were growing up I was growing up because I'm a lot older than both of you we could only compare ourselves to a couple of the girls in the school but now they can compare themselves to hundreds a day so it's bound to feed into that feeling of not being good enough Yeah. And I think it's, you know, going back to what you were saying, Hope, about the filters and so on, like I was as well, uh, you know, growing up with just the people that I could see, like physically see around me because social media was not a thing whatsoever when I was growing. And yeah, you would see the couple of good looking girls in school, but you would also see that the majority of people were like you. And you may see a few in the magazines that were amazing, but you also knew that they would have the personal trainers, nutritionists, whatever team was behind them to make that happen. So I guess that subconsciously you understood the world to be different because, you know, we're talking about bodies, but it's also the fact that all you see is this lovely looking food that people also put filters on, which is mind blowing. And, you know, when I was little, I didn't have that. I would have my Instagram and mum putting a plate of food in front of me. And that's what it is. I didn't, I didn't have a clue what other friends would have eaten the day before or the very, you know, the very minute that I was eating mine. And I think there was some sort of freedom as well in that because we've, we've also gone into this culture of let's try this however many diets suppress this sort of food from your diet you know carbohydrates are good then they are bad i think you know the amount of information that we receive that can collapse our system to be honest is just so much it's no surprise really how particularly influ minds that could be influenced are in that conundrum right now because, you know, what do you believe? What do you do? Yeah, it's so true. And I think on top of that, particularly with eating disorders and particularly with anorexia, is it's such a competitive illness. So you are like competing with every single person around you pretty much all the time. And it means that when there are people constantly sharing photos of food, when you're maybe in a school environment where there are other people with eating disorders, 
And when you've got friends maybe who are talking about dieting a lot, you're going to constantly be in that comparison mode, trying to be the best, trying to be just good enough, trying to lose a little bit more weight, all of this sort of stuff. And I think because of things like social media and because of that accessibility to see exactly what everyone else is doing all the time, you then just start to think, oh, I need to be doing that. I need to try that out. And I think particularly on things like social media as well, we are seeing within the food kind of arena on there, a lot of people sharing exactly what they eat over the course of a day. And it's like, if we all ate the same food, we're all different body size. It's like all three of us are completely different shapes. If we had the same diet, did the same exercise, we would still look completely different. But I don't think people are always aware of that. And that's why they get so competitive and so fixated on what everyone else is doing. Mm. So what would, advice would you give to someone who might be listening to this, who's got an eating disorder, who's, who's still struggling and in that denial stage? I'd ask them what purpose the not eating or the change in their eating behaviours is giving them and doing for them. And then encourage them to seek out and try and have a conversation with someone about it. So yeah, that first bit when you develop an eating disorder and everyone around you is telling you that something's the matter, something's going wrong. And it feels really, really frustrating at points because you're like, nothing's the matter, what I'm doing is okay. And I know for me, I was convinced that everyone else was trying to take away like this magical solution that I had found to my life to help me feel better. But what really changed for me and what I like always thinks really helpful to think about is actually like, yeah, what is it doing for you? And then like maybe kind of, I guess, personifying it in such a sense that you write a letter to actually saying like, dear eating disorder this is how you make me feel this is the good bits this is the bad bits and trying to kind of break it down a little bit like that and then thinking about what you want your future to be like do you want to have a future where the eating disorder and all the calorie counting all the constant thinking about food or the lack of energy if you don't feel like you're able to say you have an eating disorder do you want to live a future where all of that stuff is holding you back from doing all the stuff that you want to do and I think as individuals you have to get to that space where you realize that it's not making you invincible anymore but actually there is so much other stuff on the other side of that fear that you have to start trying to kind of trust as well. And I think as well, the other thing that really helped me and one of my biggest fears when I was in recovery was people thinking that because I started eating and because I looked physically healthy, that everything had just clicked into place. So I think for me, it was always having that space after mealtimes to just be like, I feel really guilty. I feel really rubbish. I feel like this. I feel like this. And again, just help me to kind of project my emotions in a much more healthy way than doing it onto my body. Mm. Yeah, it will be quite interesting to hear kind of going to the other side for anybody supporting anybody with an eating disorder. What sort of advice would you give? Because I think... Uh, you know, one of the of the pieces that you were mentioning is like you may feel that just because you look a bit healthier, then the disease is over. But I think being aware and mindful of that is also very important. So, how can we best support somebody going through through this? Yeah, and I guess first thing is it's it's really difficult, and. I always say you have to try and be really patient, but I'm also aware that when you're caring for someone that you really love and they're really struggling, 
it's really difficult to be patient all the time. And I know in my family, the amount of arguments we had around mealtimes and food and things like that. I guess firstly, as an individual, it's important to look after yourself within all of this. So actually seeking the support that you need, giving yourself that space to feel really hard and giving yourself that space to just have a little bit of respite away from it. It's important to not just see the illness when you look at that person. So something that really helped me was going out and doing kind of fun activities with my family. Like we went, we'd go for like dog walks, things like that, and kind of creating those happy memories that were just away from the family kind of home. So that I was like, actually, there's other stuff that matter and other stuff that I can really focus on as well. I think reminding the individual, you know, they're struggling, even if they are eating and if even if maybe their weight is changing, having time every single day to check in with them and work out kind of how it's going, how they're feeling and giving them that space to share a lot of those fears and those anxieties as well. Whether it's a fear of weight change or a fear of what their friends will think, all of that sort of stuff. And I think within that kind of sharing aspect, it's like, don't make assumptions. I think at the moment, and I know that I do it as well, I make the assumption that, COVID's been really difficult for everybody, which is why people are feeling really kind of aggy a lot of the time. But actually, sometimes for people, they've had other stuff going on for like ages before, and maybe we're functioning at a really high level with an eating disorder, but we just never really noticed that we just weren't really aware until COVID happened. And then because it happened during COVID, we just assume it's all because of COVID. So just being mindful, I think, of those assumptions as well. And then I think kind of just more practically, just being really aware of the kind of, I guess, conversations that you're having that they might overhear. Yeah, I guess like don't talk about dieting, don't talk about foods being good and bad and being really mindful when like you look in the mirror and... I know, I know that I do this and I'm probably going to do it when I have children as well. But like that tendency that a lot of us have to look in the mirror and kind of scrutinize our own bodies and kind of pick them apart. And I think just being mindful to try and not do that in front of your kind of the person that maybe is struggling as well. Mm. I think that's such a great point because, you know, my daughter is five and I am very conscious of the way I, I even look at myself in the mirror when she's around and I don't know will she speak that up but the other day you know I was just changing and she was like mommy you've got a big fat tummy now the people who know me face to face they do know that I'm curvy I do have you know kind of a Jennifer Lopez but <laughs> Latino I, I'm, I'm embracing it but my tummy is flat so I look at her and I was like well no honey I don't have a big fat tummy. And even if I did, it's fantastic because I held you in this tummy and that's why it's the shape that it is. But I am very mindful of the things that she might be peeking up on and kind of like, you know, trying and exemplify, even if I don't believe it myself, but, you know, try and be that body positive image for her because of that reason like you know the number of times that we see in the magazines oh you know there's a tiny little overgrowing area here in the tummy and he's like does it matter does it really matter and I think we're just not aware of the number of things that you know just a passing by comment you may be saying and so I would imagine for somebody with this sort of disorder happening, they'll just pick up on it. And that's the other thing that our brain does. They only pick up the information that we're wanting to hear. So the minute that you mention such and such food are not so good, boom, in it goes. I'm registering that. 
So I think you definitely said it. One of the, you know, one of the things is, is really being mindful about what you're saying, how you're saying it and the things that you're acting on. Yeah. And I'm also interested to know kind of what were the best resources and tools that have helped you along the way? So I think it's, it's taken me a long time to find, find the stuff that really works for me. And I think one of the reasons for that is I do think because eating disorders are quite misunderstood still, there's not a huge amount of stuff out there. But I guess from a resource perspective, from things that I do, which help me first is, so I, I've done like a whole kind of reparenting piece. So kind of learning how to talk to myself, learning to be able to kind of congratulate myself when I do something well and not needing to seek that approval from other people. It's a work in progress. It's hard at times. I think we're, we all like to get that approval from others, but definitely getting to a space where I'm able to do that. I also interrupt every single negative thought that I have that comes to my head, whether it's a work-related thing or an image-related thing. And hopefully kind of in the long term, I'll be able to go back like you do um, in kind of a much more confident kind of positive way as well. Every day I ask myself whether the behaviours that I'm doing that day are going to give me the outcome that I want in my life. So for me, one of the big things I want is to have a family one day. So I know that I have to keep well, I have to keep pushing myself in my recovery because I want to have that moment where I have children and when I can go out for croissants with them or get an ice cream or whatever it might be and to just be okay doing that sort of stuff. And I also have done a lot of my own research looking into the body, kind of looking at the way that our body responds to over-exercise, to calorie counting and making sure that I have all of those facts to hand as well that on those harder days I've actually like you know what like it's written down here I know that this is what I need to be doing this is why this is the science all of that as well and then I think kind of looking away from just the stuff that I've developed and more I guess it kind of organizations so there's an organization called First Steps Eating Disorders who do work mainly around body image and issues around that I also work with a dietitian called Rini McGregor who has helped me to understand a lot more about the fears around kind of the fears I project onto my body and also helped me to really unpick what the eating disorder was doing for me and what purpose it served. And not only just like she's my, obviously my dietitian, but she also has a podcast, which again, gets rid of all of those kind of myths and the kind of ridiculous stats. And also that stuff that the government always seems to push around kind of eating less and moving more, like just getting you to understand that actually that's not an accurate way to live your life and not a way to lose weight anyway. So it's not even helpful. Um, and then another kind of finally, the, another really good resource is the Hub of Hope, which you type your postcode in and it comes up with like a list of resources in your local area and they often have quite a lot of kind of random stuff on there as well like stuff that you wouldn't always be aware of but I think for me it's always been about trying to find people that really champion me people that I can talk to people who really understand that the eating disorder isn't about weight it's not about food but actually it's because something's not quite right so getting to a space I think with everyone where I no longer need to show people that I'm not okay through not eating but actually if I'm having a difficult day I can just tell someone and that's just so much better wow that's such good resources thank you I will be here seeking seeking them out so thank you so much and and thank you for coming on today. But we would love to know what is the one question you wished we had asked you that we haven't? Oh, good question. I think what what keeps me going on the hard days? Yeah. 
So what keeps you going on the hard days, Hope? Because I need that at the moment. <laughs> so on, on the hard days, I always I always get up I, out of bed. I always brush my teeth first thing and I get dressed and normally put on something that's not like jogging bottoms and a hoodie. So put on something nice. I then always sit outside and have a cup of tea, regardless of what the weather is. So yeah, kind of having that outside time for me is really important. And then I set myself kind of three things to do off my to-do list, which are normally really kind of easy things to do that are just kind of a tick box thing to do. And then I go and basically spend as much time as I can outside, just trying to just, I guess, like be away from my thoughts and my thinking, but at the same time, giving me that space to probably process things when I'm ready to. Mm, That's beautiful. Hope. Thanks for sharing that. So one last one for you. Can you sum up in one sentence? We'll give you a paragraph. If not, how have you made your life better? I focused on what I want out of my life, I think, and the kind of future that I want to have instead of focusing on, I think, yeah, instead of getting stuck on my past, I think so much of my life I have been wrapped up in a lot of the stuff that happened to me as a child and have occasionally gone a bit kind of like where was me like I need to feel sorry for myself I'm the victim in all of this no one gets it no one understands it's really hard having an eating disorder all of that sort of stuff and I made a decision a couple of years ago that I was not going to do that anymore and so basically try every day to just step forward into like this kind of victory whatever it might look like for me and it's the small wins it's the big wins and knowing that one day I will be totally free of an eating disorder and every day I do it it's just one step closer to that Mm. oh thank you so much because I think that is going to help so many people and thank you for keep finding that strength to make a change because I can imagine that's not easy without any eating disorder so the fact that you've got that huge strength but I think that's also a myth isn't it by what I'm reading lots of people that have got eating disorders have got huge strength but it's about focusing it in, in the right area I do yeah I agree with that and I think it shows and I'm not just saying this because it's me but I think it shows so much courage to step forward into recovery with all of that uncertainty with all of that fear with your brain kind of storytelling ahead telling you it's going to be a disaster that everything's going to go wrong that no one's going to like you and just trying to see what will actually happen and what that might look like and I think you're right, like recovery is all about sitting with really uncomfortable feelings and your body changes, your brain changes, people change around you. But it's like you have to just keep making the thing on the other side of the fear so much bigger and having the strength to do that, I think is crucial. It shows really brave, courageous people with a lot of strength. So kudos to you. I agree. It's not because it's you, but I do think that you do have it. So congratulations for showing up for for yourself and your future self and for sharing this beautiful time with us. I'm sure after this conversation, there will be a lot of people that would want to connect with you, find more about you. So where can they find you, Hope? Uh, So probably the best place is on Instagram, which is just Hope Virgo with an underscore. I think I post most of my stuff up there occasionally go off on a massive rant on Twitter, but Instagram's probably the safer space to go for this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, my website's uh, hopevirgo.com, yeah, which again has a bit a few more resources on. 
it's got a bit more information about the kind of stuff that I do and then also has some kind of extra government resources as well so if you're interested in kind of lobbying your own MP or kind of trying to make the government understand about eating disorders there's a load of draft stuff up there that people can just copy and paste thank you and thank you to our listeners for joining us one more week Thanks for showing us your love and appreciation. And please share this episode with anyone you think will benefit from it. Leave a comment and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, stay well, stay safe and stay inspired. Much love.